Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining as me, as always, it's my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. How are you today? I'm doing very well. And also joining me is my senior editor, Katie McCarthy. Hello. I'm happy to be here for the, I guess this is the Gaming Europe, technically, kind of. Yeah, sure, so we're going to do two episodes, actually. So we're doing the RPG wrap-up of the year first, and then we're going to do what we did last year, and we're going to do an end-of-the-year extravaganza where we get the entire team together to talk about all of the games that came out this year, which will be... I, I had a lot of fun doing that last year. We got some new faces this year who will be able to contribute, so it's uh, it's going to be a good time, I think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And also, uh, as of this podcast, the Game Awards uh, will have already been done. I have no idea who's going to win because we're recording this on a Wednesday, or Thursday, Thursday, because I'm flying out to England on Friday. I'm going to make a prediction that's going to look bad in hindsight <laughs> and say that Death Stranding is going to win. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a safe bet. I think it's going to be Control. I think Control is going to take it. I think Control could end up taking it. That's I, It's either Control or Death Stranding. Those are the top two. But yeah, that sounds I about right. I think Control was less divisive than mm. Death Stranding was. I think this Death Stranding still, like, ha- they're both divisive in their own ways, but I feel like Control was, like, less so. So I can see that being the one that takes it. Yeah, IGN getting giving it Game of the Year, though, was pretty divisive. I've, I'm surprised by that, like, because I feel like that's, like, the... I don't know. For me, I feel like that's kind of the frontrunner I've seen people talk about. I don't know. Like, people really like that game even though the action in that game's not very good, at least <laughs> to me. Uh, but, I don't know, like, I I wasn't surprised by seeing that, but I was surprised to see people surprised by that. I don't know. <laughs> like, if that makes sense, like... A surprise triple yeah. times three. There was one RPG that made it into the Game Awards, uh, Game of the Year list, and that was The Outer Worlds. Do we think it has any chance whatsoever? No. No. <laughs> Sorry, Outer Worlds. Sorry, Outer Worlds. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I would be surprised if it won. That would be a surprise, you know? Yeah, that would be a surprise. It doesn't seem to really have its advocates in the mainstream media. It seems to be much more of a very vocal fan base mm-hmm. who are making a lot of noise on its behalf. And also people going, oh, yeah, The Outer Worlds came out, and that was reasonably well-reviewed. Yeah, that did all right. <laughs> people don't take their duties as a journalist and a critic seriously enough. They should be putting way more thought into the games that they choose some of the games in these categories in the Game Awards are frankly a disgrace. FIFA 20 <laughs> in the sports section, people were literally just throwing in names that they knew. They weren't doing any research. That's ridiculous. I cannot believe that. It, you know what it reminds me of a little bit is uh, with the Oscars, whenever you get to the animation uh, category, all the, all these critics do is vote for the uh, whatever Disney thing is, is the biggest at that point and just oh, what else, is that? what else is there? I don't know. I don't care. So yeah, I'm I'm just throwing this out here. Don't pick Jump Force for the freaking Game Awards. Okay? Wait, was that nominated? Jeez. I'm sorry, was that Jump was Force one of the nominees, what? yeah. Why? Well, I think it was Best what? Fighting Game. Ew, Jump gross. Force? <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> it's like they just go through Wikipedia and like just look at like... <laughs> They do control F fighting for genre, and they just see like, oh, these are the fighting games that came out. So I'm gonna put these down because like that's that what is it is. That's weird. That's weird. I mean, we all know it's gonna be Mortal Kombat 11 or Smash. Oh, Smash! Probably Smash. Probably Smash yeah. 
But I mean, like Dead or Alive 6 and Jump Force actually even getting nominations? Come the F on, man. I guess I could see Dead or Alive, but I also feel like it's not... From what I heard, like, from people I know that are fans of that series, like, it wasn't even as good as, like, 5. So it's like, it was just... <laughs> it was still better than, like, you know, discount Dragon Ball Fighters. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that, I mean, you don't have to... F- you don't have to submit five choices for the Game Awards ballot. You can select a handful of choices, which is what we did. So, mm-hmm. okay, be better, game journalists. <laughs> be better. All right, <laughs> moving on. So we're recapping the entire year in RPGs this year and talk a lot about the RPGs that came out. Now talk about some of the biggest stories. And we're going to finish by picking the best RPG of the year, 2019, as Ooh. chosen by the Blood God. And the Blood God is, of course, me, Nadia, and King. <laughs> and it's like the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <laughs> Before we get to that, Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are sold. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review. If you have a comment that you want to share... You can tweet at me at the underscore catbot. You can send me a DM. You can email me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or, you know, whatever. Or leave a comment on the show post. Also, Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Katie is at Katie. That's Y-U-M-E-C-A-T-Y. We also have a a newsletter that you should subscribe to. You can find the subscription information on the front page of usgamer.net. And this week, I took over the newsletter since Nadia was out, and I wrote about three underrated RPGs that you should play in the year 2019. One of them was Indivisible. Yes, I reviewed that. That was a good game. You'll have to go and check what the other two are, but I think that they are fun little RPGs that would be a great way to spend your holiday. Okay. Moving on to the year in RPGs. That was 2019. So, first things first, what I want to ask you to, how do we think it stacks up in general RPG-wise? The first thing I'm going to say is that I don't extremely well recall what came out last year. And in that regard, I think 2019 was a better year than 2018. (laughs) Thoughts. I think I think you're on to something there because um, I can't think of. I have to say, RPG. yeah, I'm like, I'm, yeah, I just can't think of anything. <laughs> uh, last year had like uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, oh, yeah, but this true. year also had Dragon Quest Eleven. <laughs> so. <laughs> so good. I mean, it had like Pokemon Let's Go, and Which was okay. Fallout Seventy Six, and Dragon Quest Eleven, and Nino Kuni Two. <laughs> Go I don't want to go. I, I can't go down that road again. <laughs> I'm not strong enough. Octopath Traveler. Oh yeah, that, that was last year. I did enjoy that very much. I I mean I'm I haven't finished Dragon Quest Eleven. Admittedly, I've I've been waiting for S to go on sale because I want to play on my Switch because I got like tw- good luck twenty hours in on PS4, uh, and I was hoping Black Friday would be like at least like fifteen dollars off. You know, I'm not asking for much. I'm asking for it to be like. <laughs> In the 40s range, still you not. You can't the ask price. Nintendo for anything. Yeah, it's like you really can't, and especially Switch. Like they're just selling everything on Switch is just selling, so nobody has to do any sales. They're not going to bother. Yeah, I mean, there's like indie games on sales. I've seen sales on Switch. You know, like it happens. But yeah, I'm still holding out because, like, I'm like I'm not dying to play it immediately, so I'm just mm-hmm. being patient. But I do really want to play it on Switch. 
patience, Katie. I'm being patient. It, it's like in the same vein. I kind of want to play Disco Elysium when it comes out on console. So yeah, it's like yeah, but it is good on PC. It's a good like just click around, easy. Yeah, low performance requirement. Like it ran on my crappy PC. So my computer claims that I don't meet the processor requirements for Disco Elysium. Really. Wow. Yeah, Whoa. which I don't really believe. That's I think it's weird, just weird because my computer is like five years old and it can play that game and it looks great. Like it looks fine. It's like very... my computer can totally run it. I think Nvidia is just being dumb. Yeah, maybe update your drivers or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's always what I like. When in doubt, is like update everything. I'm like, what's going <laughs> update on? Update your drivers. <laughs> well, what I will say about Dragon Quest Eleven is that I bounced off it pretty hard last year because the soundtrack was so bad so bad so bad mm. and playing it on playstation 4 like i guess i could have turned off the music and listened to podcasts and such but that's the kind of move that i want to do with my switch and right. the dragon quest 11 s like fixed the soundtrack and just adds so much to that game and made it much easier for me to enjoy and frankly, it's just the kind of game that I want to settle into a very comfy armchair with a cup of hot cocoa and my Switch with my headphones on, almost like I'm listening to a really good album and just chill with it, you know? Yeah, it's definitely a chill-worthy game. Um, you can't really settle for an armchair all the time, though. Maybe you should go for, like, the airplane when you go down to the, uh, the UK. <laughs> <laughs> almost like an armchair, not quite as comfy. I got Shovel Knight Treasure Trove on my Switch, uh, so I'm kind of tempted to go back and play the original Shovel Knight, but also I've got Pokemon that I want to finish. Mm. Ah, right. Gotta yeah. finish Pokemon. So yeah, I'm glad that we mentioned Dragon Quest XI-S because I would say it was kind of the year of the Switch RPG ports. Yeah, yeah there's a really lot was. this year. Let me, here are just a few of the games that came out this year. Nino Kuni, Witcher 3, Trails of Cold Steel, Romancing Saga, Final Fantasy VIII, and practically like all of the Final Fantasies, like 7, 8... Uh, I think nine came out on Switch this year. Yeah, yeah nine and Switch. twelve. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they just kind of all just came on a deluge. It was just one big kachunk. <laughs> Thunk! Here's your damn Final Fantasy. Get here you go. Here. And honestly, if I weren't in the games press, I probably would have gotten into Final Fantasy VII. I was telling Nadia about this in another episode, and probably just played through all the Final Fantasies again because it was. I was kind of. I was chilling with it. You know, I would have done seven and eight. Probably would have tried 10 again, just for the heck of it, to see if I still liked it or liked it at all. Uh, <laughs> I kind of want to get back into 12 again. I mean, there's a lot of great RPGs that just came out that still hold up. Yeah, uh, I would if I had to do the time, I would love to go through 12 again. That was such a great game. Uh, Dragon Quest XI S, Collection of Mana, Grandia HD Collection, Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition, which came out in January and we totally forgot about. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Divinity Original Sin 2 for Switch. Damn, Baldur's I forgot Gate. about that too. Like all the Baldur's Gates games, like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and Planescape Torment. <laughs> and Icewind Dale, I think. Yeah, it's like Planescape and Icewind in one collection, which is weird. And then they have the two Baldur's Gates in the other. I want to get that Planescape collection because after I finished Disco Elysium, everyone was saying, oh, Disco Elysium's like Planescape but better. And it made me want to play Planescape Torment because I like Disco Elysium so much. So, like, I should pick that up, too, for Switch, honestly. Yeah, you should totally get Planescape Torment. We did name it our second best RPG uh, of all time. Yeah. Yes, we did. And I, I do want to check it out because I think hearing that comparison, I was like, I should, I should check that out. I should play that. 
I think it certainly has a similar vibe. Uh, apart from a roughly similar perspective, I, I think it has kind of that gritty feeling mm-hmm. to it. Um, Planescape Torment was darker even than your average kind of D&D game. And Disco Elysium, what was the way that the developers described it? Like kind of this Eastern European vibe to it, working class. <laughs> Worker and Parasite. Well, they were from, they're actually from Eastern Europe, but they ended up developing it in London. Yeah, they're and, from Estonia. Oh, okay. So it's like post-Soviet country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's just like an interesting history uh, of those developers and everything. That's cool. So if you guys were to recommend one of these ports to play, what would it be? Oh my god, there's so many. Uh, this is killing me, cat. <laughs> I know I mean, which one you're going to pick. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously Dragon Quest XI-S is the, is the gimme, but like you've named so many great ones. Like I'd have to say maybe Collection of Mana, um, because this is another thing we've gone over in, in past episodes, as well as on, in the newsletter itself, but uh, I feel like it's just so great that we finally got Seeking Tensetsu 3, an official localization, and I personally want to support Square in these endeavors of maybe officially localizing games that we never got here and are like 20, 30 years old, but still have a lot of worth to them. Mm-hmm. And even, uh, you know, kind of stoke that particular interest slash uh, just that interest in, you know, possibly making remakes, because of course we have the Trials of Mana remake coming out next year. So, uh, yeah, if if we can get more of that going on, I, I'd love that, especially since, um, heck, I'd love to see Bahamut Lagoon. We were just talking about that game. So, you know, anything I can do to make it worth Square's while to give us, you know, more of these retro games that we missed out on, I- I'm down for it. Video games are going to become a never-ending feedback loop in which every new generation is just going to be a series of re-releases. To the point where we don't actually get anything new. Like, all the releases of the year are just going to be, oh, man, we got Bahamut Lagoon now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I'm always missing out on stuff the first time around. So, when it comes around next time, I can pick it up. I saw Anamanaguchi calling out Ubisoft uh, for delisting Scott Pilgrim. And I got to say, really? it's a great beat-em-up. And I do want to be able to play it on modern consoles. So, hey, Ubisoft, listen to Anamanaguchi. Release <laughs> Scott Pilgrim to PS4 and Xbox One. Yes, please. That's uh, That was a really good beat-em-up. And I don't really have too many games that take place in Toronto. So, come on. I can I can even forgive its really bad final level because the rest of the game is so, so good. I don't good. think I ever beat it. Yeah, it was frustrating as hell in the last level. Uh, oh, my God. The sections where you're actually walking along the extremely narrow pathways and losing health on the way to the final boss is total bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And there were some bugs. Like, I remember getting, like, a friend of mine and I were playing the game, and we got pretty far, and then it just crashed. And I was like, you know what? You want to play Smash? Okay. <laughs> so like, I played through the entirety of it with uh, some friends, and invariably we would get to the final level and one of them would be almost apoplectic going like this is the worst game i've ever played this game is totally garbage what the hell but when i finally like when i finished it again solo using knives i was like i like this game you just gotta be just gotta remember to grind i love knives (laughs) all right uh i would recommend divinity original sin 2 for switch because so my first thought is witcher 3 but I don't actually think you should play Witcher 3 on Switch. It's a fine port. It's it's very enjoyable on the go. But that game has such an epic sweep to it mm-hmm. 
that I and it's gorgeous too that I really think that you should if you can enjoy it on a PS4 Pro or an Xbox One X or PC uh, just to really get the full effect uh, because The Witcher 3 is, it's got compromises they, they did a great job of cramming that thing in there supposedly in their original build it was something like three or four times the size of the of the largest cartridge on Switch and it was running at like one FPS <laughs> I love that. Uh, it was too late for me. I already downloaded it on Switch. I was waiting all this time because um, I got a Switch Lite thanks to my friends uh, for a Christmas present. And uh, I had to get a memory card. And I waited for a Black Friday sale for that. And I got one for $3. $3? Uh, that was, it, was a, it was an error. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. Those are the best. I love, I love when Wario would tweet out, like, this thing's like free. And I'm like, okay, here I go. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, they sent an email out saying, hi, uh, we made a mistake. Can you, like, you know, not buy that after all? It's like, oh, that sounds like a personal know. problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, Sorry. no, I spent my like, hard-earned money on this. $3, damn it. I could have bought a, a, a coffee or something. Hey, that's a whole lunch. Yeah, that, it is. that's like... That's like less than a, like a latte at Starbucks. Like, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> it totally is. But yeah, I get that some people only own the Switch and can't afford a PS4 Pro or an Xbox One X. And if you can't, you know, afford all of the consoles, which is totally fair, uh, I, yeah, get Witcher 3 on Switch. Go for it. I mean, it's a perfectly good port. It's just, if you have the option, PS4. Uh, Katie, do you have one you want to recommend? I bet you'd probably recommend Nino Kuni, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't played the Switch version, actually, but I was actually going to say... Final Fantasy VIII because they like went above and beyond with that like port. That's true. Because yeah. like they didn't just like put it on Switch. Like the Final Fantasy VII one, I think is just the PC version on Switch, pretty much. Uh, whereas like Final Fantasy VIII, they like just like made all they fixed all the textures. Like it just like looks, it looks like a PS One game, but it doesn't. It looks like way better than it looks how you remember it. If that makes sense, like. Yeah, I know what you mean. They like you might yeah. remember it looking one way, but then you actually look at screenshots and you're like, "Oh wow, this looks bad." But they made it like actually like look pretty good and smoothed out a lot of stuff and a lot of textures and lots of like jagged and stuff. And I think it's like pretty cool that they like just went because I earlier in the year they had announced all these Final Fantasy games and eight was like conspicuously absent and everyone was like, "What the heck? Where's eight? And then over the summer they're like, "Oh, we went, we really remastered." eight but we're not doing like a full remake obviously which i think is pretty cool uh, and i think it's only like 20 bucks or something that's pretty cheap uh if i'm remembering correctly i could be totally misremembering but you know for redo remastering a game at like a budget that's cool i don't know i think that's cool mm -hmm. for switch all right let's talk about the biggest rpg stories of 2019 probably uh, okay okay i think some of the big ones that stand out to me uh, the removal of the National Pokedex oh, from Pokemon Sword and Shield. <laughs> uh, that whole fiasco aged me, I swear to God, 20 <laughs> years. Like, I I have been, I wrote on Twitter, I have been writing about games for, since 2004, and I have never covered a, an event as depressing as that whole thing. It was so toxic and so awful that I just, like, I, I was, like, just, I'm, I'm done with this. I can't stand this anymore. I went through the stages of grief when it came to the removal of the National Pokedex. You did. You were yes, one of the first people that was like really mad about it. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Cat's like. Cat's setting the yeah. trend. <laughs> well, everybody else was like, they just announced, they just drop it. 
in the middle of a, a conversation during E3. And on Slack, I'm like, hell no. And everybody yeah, else on were. Slack's like, eh. And I'm like, no, no, this is a huge <laughs> deal. This is a big freaking deal. Well, yeah, you weren't wrong. I was not wrong. Um, and then it became a whole damn thing for like the whole year. And then it became really toxic. Really. Yeah, really. It, it's still a damn thing. Like you can't see someone make like a, a fun post about Pokemon without some jackass and stirring themselves into it and saying Game Freak lied or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there are so many horrible conspiracy theories surrounding so Game Freak. stupid, horrible yeah. conspiracy theories. There's a conspiracy theory that like the A team at Game Freak worked on Little Town Hero, which is ludicrous. Like that just doesn't you make just, any sense. Just look at the credits, people. Uh, yeah, and like <laughs> why that is that doesn't make any logical sense. No company would do that. No company would do that. And it's just I felt bad for that them. Like they just got so much crazy ass things like thrown around about them. And it's like yeah, they're just making a game. I don't know. <laughs> when, it, when it got to the point where they were, like, analyzing the developers' faces to kind yeah. of, like, you know, seek out, oh, th- this is proof that they're lying and they hate their work. I'm like, you, f- can you go outside, please? <laughs> like, I, I I totally understand being upset about the decks being cut. I get that. Yeah. I'm not a competitive player, but I understand, you know, and they did cut a big part of the decks. I'm not, I'm not going to deny that they did, but, like, God, they, they just bringing up the name of Awada, saying how Awada's ashamed of them, and, and just, oh, that was I couldn't believe it. It was so pathetic. That's the word for it. Thank you. Yeah, I think that it really demonstrates the crazed feedback loop that also feeds into our current social problems, because mm-hmm. you had people getting mad on social media, right? And then mm-hmm. they kept being mad, and they kept hanging out in these threads, and that outrage kept feeding itself and feeding itself and feeding itself. And then these YouTube channels come out and they keep feeding it as well, right? Where they're doing these ridiculous uh, deep dive looks at pre-release screenshots, being like, look at this, this is proof that this is they're lying about a particular model and everything. And it all culminating in the release of Pokemon Sword uh, with, uh, what was it, Game Freak Lied? It's a hashtag. Yeah, hashtag hashtag yeah. Game Freak Lied, which is just <laughs> so dumb. It's like Puddlegate times like 20, times 50. It really even. is. It's like, Time, yeah, it really times is. a million. Yeah, it's. I mean, whole YouTube channels ra- rose on uh, the National Pokedex <laughs> crap. And this is what I'm going to say as somebody who's been playing Pokemon since the very beginning, was a hardcore Pokemon fan in like 2003 in Ruby and Sapphire when a lot of these. These people who are posting on the forums probably weren't even born yet. <laughs> I will say that I got over it, okay? Like, it had to happen at some point with Pokemon that they were going to, like, not have the full national Pokedex in the entire game. It's a bummer, and, whatever. It, like, yeah. hits at the economy. But at the same time, it was also a little bit freeing to me because I was kind of walking through the game... I've been just going through the game really slowly and kind of at my own pace, just collect catching whatever. And it's been fun, you know? Like, I've, I've been having a good time. It's not so much about the, I have to get to the end of the game so I can get my team imported. Yeah, it's actually, um, you know, despite all the yelling, you know, number one, the game sold like hotcakes, because of course it did. Number two, uh, there's actually a really interesting metagame starting to rise up around the whole scene. So I think uh, by next year, we're going to see some really interesting stuff out of that. 
but yeah, I felt the same way when I got from the very beginning of the game, uh, when I walked out on Route 1 and I just saw all these Pokemon I didn't recognize. I'm like, oh, what's that? What's that? What's that? And, you know, it was the first time I really felt like that about a Pokemon game since probably Black and White, which was the last game to really make an effort to make us use new Pokemon. Uh, we've talked about this endlessly. There, I think the only problem is, if you think of it solely in terms of, like, the metagame and everything, you have to remember that Pokemon is more than just Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering. It's oh, yeah. also about, you know, catching monsters and having a living collection and everything. And I can totally understand why people who are all about having a living collection of all 900-plus Pokemon would be legitimately bummed out, especially if, like, legacy, very rare legacy ones that you can't get anywhere else that have, like, mm-hmm. special ID tags or, or shiny or whatever can't make the jump over. That that kind of sucks. And it also, like, hits at the purpose of Pokemon Home. Like, you go, okay, so you got this service called Pokemon Home, but you can't transfer every Pokemon. I think that eventually the National Pokedex is going to come back and they're going to be like, Good news, folks. It's all back. Hooray. <laughs> Everyone is here. Yeah. So that was a thing that just would not go away. And I went from kind of broadly agreeing with it to finding it completely obnoxious, <laughs> just like every controversy <laughs> in video games. Yeah, that sounds about right. This is another one I think that is a really big story of the year. BioWare's general struggles. Um Anthem was, I mean, I mean, it was the bust of the year, right? So yeah, I actually think Anthem was the worst game of the year. Like the worst period or just like worst most period. disappointing? Ouch. No, I, I think it was terrible. And I think that all you need to know about Anthem is that it was a looter shooter in which you could use a level one gun and it was just as powerful as other guns. And it was a bug that actually lasted for quite a while. <laughs> like that is the definition of a broken game. That's like, fundamentally didn't work for what it was meant for. Yeah. And I mean, like, okay, WWE 2K was quantitatively worse, or qualitatively worse, but oh, yeah. I think that Anthem, just for this, the sheer size of it, like, versus WWE 2K, I mean, come on. Wow. I think at least WWE 2K was so bad that it was entertaining, and it, it just, like, flopped and burned the way, de- the way that it deserved to flop and burn, but... Uh, Anthem has a very kind of sad story behind it. And the thing is that Bioware thought they had a really great game on their hands. They thought they were like, well, yeah, we crushed it. Aw, poor guys. <laughs> and they were getting a lot of warnings about how too much of the content was front-loaded, the end game wasn't, was like pretty disappointing, and they were just like, no, uh, it's not a problem. And boom, it comes out, and I mean, it just gets crucified. It was all a problem. And now they are, like, putting all their chips down on Dragon Age, which isn't coming out for, like, three years. They are trying to, I guess, do a Anthem, a, well, a Realm Reborn for next year, which, <laughs> good luck to them. Like, it sounds like they got huge teams uh, working on it, according to Jason Schreier. I, they're making another Mass Effect. And you know what? I'm polling for you, Bioware. I, I'm really polling for you. But I, we've talked about this before, Nani. I think the talent uh-huh. has been just too much. Yeah, because we were talking about how, um, talking about, like, uh, Bioware Edmonton, which is, like, uh, kind of hard to get people to move to Edmonton because it's pretty cold. <laughs> Rest in peace to Alpha Dream, the creators of the Mario, uh, the Superstar Saga RPGs. Yes, I am very disappointed in that one because uh, those were 
not just great RPGs, but great Mario RPGs, and that they had so much personality and really great writing. You wouldn't expect a Mario game to be so funny and like just so full of personality, but they really were. I'm I'm disappointed in this little bit of news. And of course, rest in peace to Studio Estolia, which was being run by Hideo Baba, who worked on the Tales series and I think also the Blue Dragon series. And uh, his RPG, uh, Project Prelude Ruin, ended up being canceled, which, I mean, eh. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I have Blue Dragon, but I never played it. Oh, uh, yeah? You and yeah. most people. <laughs> Pretty much. I know it has. That's right. I made this mistake before because I said it had a boss theme by uh, uh, Jack Black, but no, it was the guy from Deep Purple, apparently. Did you ever hear of Blue Dragon, Katie? No, I have no <laughs> idea what this is. <laughs> came out as one of the earliest games for the Xbox 360, and it was part of Square's, or no, Microsoft's big push to get 360 to hit in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it was being made by Mistwalker, which was founded by the creator of the Final Fantasy series, um, Sakaguchi. And it was basically Dragon Quest, I guess. It, it did have Akira Toriyama's artwork. Yeah, it had Akira Toriyama's artwork, very traditional uh, menu-based system, and it was a big deal when it came out and then kind of just flopped, and yeah. So anyway, Blue Dragon. <laughs> uh, so yeah, those are some of the biggest news stories of 2019 as pertains to RPGs. So let's continue on now to the big games. Don't go away. So when I look over the list of games that came out this year, it's kind of an interesting smattering, I think. A lot of them, uh, a couple of them from Japan, a couple, uh, we, we did get The Outer Worlds, that was a really good Western RPG for the most part, so as usual, a pretty good mix. Um, Nadia, I, I guess I'm going to start by giving you the floor and letting you defend Dragon Quest Builders too. <laughs> <laughs> well... Hey, look, I'm not the only Dragon Quest builders to stand on the staff. Like, Eric has my back and Mike has my back, at least. Um, But yes, it was actually one of my favorite games of the year. But I did love the original Dragon Quest builders. That was 2016, I think. Uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2 just kind of takes all of that and really puts in a ton of quality of life improvements. Uh, Really ups the AI on the characters. Really adds more story. Uh, Everything's kind of interlocked in a way that it wasn't in the first game. I mean, it's basically the story of of uh, Dragon Quest II, except an alternate universe version of it, where you're the legendary builder, and instead of fighting for peace, you have to build your way to peace. And it goes to, the story goes to some really interesting places, like where you end up teaming with monsters by the end of it all. And, of course, when you're not doing the story bits, you have a whole huge island to build on however you want. And that's just crazy fun like you learn it's almost like the story bits are there to teach you um okay here's how to make farms here's how to mine for minerals here's how to make good defenses against enemy attacks and then you take all that and you apply it to your little home island and um you can also like you know recruit monsters to live on your island like i got a saber cub that i ride on it's just like a game that's just full of hours and hours and hours of content, and there's DLC I haven't even touched. So, um, 
yeah, it's just a, a really good game, really fun. If you like the first one, uh, almost without question, you'll adore the second one. I know one person who prefers the first one, but I don't know what planet he's on. Uh, yeah, so that's definitely one of my favorites this year. Yeah, and there are multiple islands as well that you can explore. Yeah, there's like not just the big islands, the kind of story-based islands, but there's tons of little islands that are procedurally generated. And you can kind of go on scavenger hunts to look for uh, certain materials and certain animals. And not only can you kind of recruit the animals and monsters to live on your home island, like I said, but uh, if you find all the items that is uh, that are allotted to you, you get an infinite supply of uh, certain building materials, so you don't have to worry about collecting them anymore, which is, like, even when it's a common material, it, it's actually really handy. So, earlier this year, uh, continuing on the Square Enix beat, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 came out, and it was a reasonably big deal at launch, and it seems to have fallen out of the collective memory, maybe because it came out so early. Uh, Katie, you reviewed it. Um, is it even making our top 20 list? Oh, I don't think it's on there. Because I nominated it, but no one else backed me up. Yeah, And, like, honestly, <laughs> I, I'm, like, it's going to be on my top ten. It'll probably be my number ten slot on my personal list. I'm still, like, messing around with that. But, uh, yeah, like, I, I feel like it's, like, if you're a big fan of Kingdom Hearts, it was just, like, a satisfying final game. And the DLC looks like it's going to be, like, providing more closure, which is good because there's some, like, threads that were left a little untied like they're actually putting Final Fantasy characters back in for the DLC which is cool <laughs> oh are they uh, I didn't hear about that who's in there yeah uh well, like the trailer showed Squall or in Kingdom Hearts his name is Leon Leon is weird yeah like, I don't <laughs> nobody knows who you are Squall yeah. it's okay it's like come on stupid Lionheart it's like you're not fooling anyone but uh and then they show Yuffie and Aerith I think I think it's just those three in the trailer but it's like oh cool they're actually showing Final Fantasy characters acknowledging these characters that had a major role. You know who role. would have a crazy good time in from Final Fantasy who should be in these damn games because he would just go nuts? Laguna. Like, he would... Can you imagine Laguna in, like, a, a Disney oh, yeah. game? He'd flip. Yeah. <laughs> he would lose his shit. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Um, but yeah, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I liked it. It's a fun game. They made, finally made the combat kind of fun. It still is like you just hit X a lot, but I think they made it more dynamic than it has been in past Kingdom Hearts games where it's like you hit X a lot and it's kind of boring, but this is like really flashy. There's like some new special abilities I don't think work that well. Like there's these new amusement park things that I just don't think that system's that good. And I think they patched an update where you can just turn that off, which is kind of great. And I'm like, well, they know that no one really liked those abilities because they're just slow and tedious. Uh, but I don't know. It was just like a a fitting finale to that saga, I guess. I feel like it should have been the last Kingdom Hearts game, period. But it seems like they're just going to keep doing them for some reason. <laughs> Which end of the saga in 2019 will be better? Rise of Skywalker or Kingdom Hearts 3? I mean, probably Skywalker. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote Kingdom Hearts 3. I, I don't trust J.J. Um, Abrams to wrap up anything. That's true. That's yeah. true. They're bringing yeah. back the Palpatine, for Christ's sake. That's true. Yeah, they're, they're bringing back Palpatine. Good. Come on. Come on. I hate Flo Thrio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and like, Last Jedi is so good, and all these actors are now being like, yeah, that movie sucked. It's like, what's, yeah, I'm so what's mad about wrong? That. Chill no. out. Fun like, fact, Last Jedi was good. Yeah. I agree. I love it. Favorite it Star movie. Wars by far. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's a take. It was a it's the best of the newer ones for, for sure. sure. Yes, I mean there's only a couple of them. 
Oh, there's also yeah, Rogue One that nobody remembers. Yeah, Rogue I One, Han Solo. Remember. No one remembers Han Solo. That's the one everyone just quietly forgets about. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Kingdom Hearts 3 is good. Like, I liked it a lot. Uh, like, I've also like been a big fan of that series for a long time. I didn't expect to like it because I don't like Kingdom Hearts 2, and I've kind of been like up and down with the series, but I really like 3. I thought it was a good time. It's cute, sweet, heartwarming, all that stuff. I don't know. And it just feels like a PS2 game, which I like. Like, all the dialogue's super stilted, and, like, you know, there's, like, the you pauses mean like Death Stranding? laughing. And I love Death Stranding. Yeah. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was not expecting you to be the biggest Death Stranding fan on the, oh, on the staff. That is I funny. just wrapped it last night. I So, okay. So I was, like, midway through Chapter 10 when I last left off, and then last night it was, like, I want to say, like, 9 or 10 p.m., and I was like, I could probably finish this tonight. So I was up till like 3 a.m. finishing that game because it's like no, I was not almost there because there were so many cutscenes I had to sit through. You yeah, went and I met your Mike Princess said, Beach. A thing. I did meet Princess Beach. Man, that <laughs> line was lame as hell. <laughs> well, you yeah, want to talk about did. bad, awkward uh, dialogue from the PS2 era? Uh, yeah, I mean the script in Death Stranding is not that great. I think the story is interesting and good, and like. It's just funny seeing all these actors actually give something they're all to a script that's, like, not deserving of it, if that makes sense, you know? <laughs> yes. I love that it's about like, Kojima stuff. Yeah, it's like, man, these actors are, like, really going for it. Like, everyone in that game's, like, really good. Like, Leia Sado's great. Norman Reedus is really good. Mads Mikkelsen. Mads but, kicks it, kills it. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, the dialogue is just sometimes so corny. But... I wish it kind of leaned into that corniness more. It was, like, more self-aware. Because there's, like, funny moments. Like, there's a moment when you're leaving Cartman's room. And, like, as Norman Reedus is leaving, he decides to, like, do a record scratch on the vinyl player. <laughs> and Cartman, who is just... Because he dies every 20... Or every 21 minutes, I think is what it is. He, like, wake... He's not... He's still dead, but he, like, gives a thumbs up. And it's just it's so silly. And I love it. And I was like, I wish... That's the thing with that. a lot of Kojima stuff. It's like, you don't know when he's trolling you or when he's, like, being sincere sometimes. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I kind of wish there was some, a little more silliness, almost, because when it was, it did feel out of place, but it was still, I like those moments, but anyway, that's not an RPG at all, but I did really like Death Stranding. <laughs> uh, I think when it comes to Kingdom Hearts 3, it was for the fans, ultimately, and mm -hmm. if you weren't a fan of Kingdom Hearts in general, you were kind of like, uh, I don't get it. <laughs> that was my outlook, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nadia says that I'm Smudge the Cat from the, that one meme of the people yelling at the cat. Um, <laughs> yes, you are. And my Smudge the Cat moment is that I don't think Kingdom Hearts was ever good. And I think the fact that nobody cares about Kingdom Hearts 3 at the end of the year like kind of bears out the fact that Kingdom Hearts was always a mediocre franchise. Ouch. I mean, I feel like the fans care. I think it's like... Of course. It's very much like, if you grew up on it, yeah, you're into it. If you didn't, then it's not gonna win you over i don't think that game is gonna win anyone over if anything i'll make you more confused about what kingdom hearts is because they oh. don't explain anything they explain jack shit it's just <laughs> they just run into it and you're like why are donald and goofy here why, why are, are they there for the let's go song yeah were yeah, they always there <laughs> yes no <laughs> yeah where I, were they in frozen 2 they i do like the there. back to the future moment where they're watching the let it go uh, the, the Let It Go song, or was that was that from the original movie? Like they were actually in the background. Well, no, that was two. That was two. Yes, you're thinking. I know what you're thinking of. Yeah, never mind. Okay, a uh, couple. Uh, so I think that the biggest games 
to be released this year aside from Kingdom Hearts 3 in terms of RPGs. Uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses is one of the biggest. Uh, the Outer Worlds is one of the biggest. Uh, Pokemon Sword is one of the biggest. Uh, World of Warcraft Classic is one of the biggest. I think Disco Elysium is a breakout hit among critics and some fans. But when I went out and said, what's the best RPG of the year? Uh, almost nobody listed it because I don't think anybody's playing it. Stupid mm. people out there. You idiots. You all need to play it. You disgust me. I think you should You should read. <laughs> Man, we've been really taking shots it. at everybody today in this episode. <laughs> Game journalists, readers, Kingdom Hearts fans. should ask again once it's out on the Switch. And then you'll get a ton of people saying, oh yeah, that's a great game. I always love Disco Elysium. I just was waiting out to, for it to come out on Switch. I'll yeah, admit, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of in that boat. I don't really want to play an, an RPG on PC. Man, y'all are missing out on the a beautiful game. Well, it does seem like a really beautiful game, and it's short, too. Oh, boy, it's I'm like in. It's like 20-ish hours. 20 hours is short everyone, for an RPG. Everyone was saying it was like 60 hours before launch, and I can like see how you could do that, but I feel like you would just be very bad at managing your time if it took you that long. <laughs> Because I did a lot, and I did like all the side stuff I got my hands on, and I still finished it in like 20, 25, 20-ish hours. And yeah, that's like not that bad at all. I don't know how long it took Mike, probably around the same time. But yeah, I don't understand why people were saying 60, because that's not true. People are bad at RPGs, maybe? Maybe. I mean, but it's not like a skill-based game. It's like a game that molds with you, if that makes sense. Like, it has like a day structure, but you know, it's like... The game itself, I think, is like a week long. Eric said that he was he was enjoying Disco Elysium, but that he had to play it in short stints because it was such an intense game. Yeah, I could see that. I kind of had the opposite effect where I was so engrossed in it that I just binged it over like a few days. Ooh, those are the best games. Which I don't really do unless I'm reviewing it and I have to, you know, like... But that game I got, I wasn't playing that, like, Mike reviewed it, I didn't review it, and I think I got, like, a spare code, and I was like, I really want to play this for, like, you know, essays or whatever, and then I just got really sucked in and played it all in, like, three days. Yeah, um, one game that's kind of, that I can see where Eric is coming from, for me, was, like, Papers, Please, I couldn't... Oh, yeah, definitely, that one's, that was just demoralizing, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if it's like that, but, uh... Yeah, just it's just, it's bleak. It's very bleak. It's a lot to take in, but I felt like I was so, like, into it, you know, that I was just, like, all in, you know? Mm-hmm. I think one of the sneaky popular games of 2019, and maybe this is just because of the nature of my timeline on Twitter is self-reinforcing, uh, I feel like there are a lot of people who are in on Trails of Cold Steel 3 this time yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. Um First of all, can I say that it coming to Switch without the other two games coming to Switch is just a weird idea. Mm. I've heard it has something to do with the localization. They changed studios, of course, for three. Maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, not the localization, the publisher. But Trails of but, Cold um, Steel came out on PS4. Yeah. Like, it, it's kind of confusing. Because they were on PS4 and then they came to PC later. They have, like, a weird trajectory. It's, 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 very str- it's very strange, but three is coming to Switch next year. But, um, yeah, I do agree that the more I think about Trails of Cold Steel 3, how it's definitely one of my lower-key hits of the year, but it is definitely going to be charted on my top ten because um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, like I've said many times in the past, there aren't too many 
uh, RPG series that let you follow a, a cast of particular characters through several games in the way a good fantasy novel does. And I'm glad that Trails let you do that. It's not exactly a great series for replayability because it's very um, linear, but uh, I still recommend Trails games to like anyone who wants a, a good RPG story that's maybe, you know, kind of political like Suikoden, but more anime. A lot of people so, were yeah. talking about how the characters start out as these cardboard cutout archetypes at the very beginning, but then as you get to Trails of Cold Steel 3, they, they grow a lot. Would you kind of agree with that sentiment? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I, I've talked in the past. You don't you didn't understand why I liked Reen, but it, it's hard to describe unless you follow him through these three games and kind of see how he grows, particularly as a leader, because that's something he does a lot of, in, especially in 3. And... Three is also very interesting because you have this uh, this uh, sort of comparison between the new green cast of Class 7 versus the old veterans, and you kind of get a real sense for how the old veterans who were once, yeah, they were once cardboard cutouts themselves, they've really kind of grown into, well, most of them have kind of adopted political roles in, in their uh, new lives and et cetera, and they've really grown up and become adults and... Uh, you still have these little shit-headed kids trailing behind you, but uh, you get to sp- spend a lot of time with the old Class 7, too. It's a really, it's a really nice balancing act. I think uh, they did a really good job with that. I think Trails of Cold Steel is the definition of an old-school kind of RPG. Uh, definitely not up as high in terms of production values or mainstream appeal as a game like, say, Persona 5. Uh, no, definitely not. But it is certainly the best of the next class down. And I know that a lot of people will take that as kind of a backhanded compliment or damning with faint praise or whatever, but it certainly among RPG fans has proven its like kind of broad appeal in that sense. Yeah, it really has. And uh, that's something I said in my review too, is the game knows exactly what it is. It knows exactly who it appeals to. And it said, hey, uh, all of you who, who like the series, come on, here's a new game. And uh, they served up a good game. Do you like your anime BS? Then play this game. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it is. It's glorious planet anime bullshit. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of planet anime bullshit, uh, I think that probably the most popular RPG of the year, well, I mean, might be World of Warcraft classic, actually, but or Pokemon Sword, but the one that came up over and over and over again when I asked people what their favorite RPG of the year was was Fire Emblem Three Houses. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, certainly it's one of my favorite games of the year. I think it might be my second favorite game of the year behind Goose Game, actually. I seem to recall, Katie, that you ended up bouncing off Three Houses, like you just got tired of it, didn't like it. Yeah, so I have a few reasons for, like, why I didn't click with this. And I feel like it's the same problem I have, like, all Fire Emblems, which is I don't care about everything going on outside of the battles, you know? Like, I really was into Advanced Wars when I was younger, and I feel like Advanced Wars was always just Fire Emblem without, like, the bullshit. But all these new Fire Emblems are, like, they put the emphasis on the other stuff. Like, the school stuff in Three Houses and before it was, like, the dating and whatnot. And I just, I'm not, I've never, like, clicked with the characters in Fire Emblem, I guess. So I just never have cared to get really invested in those type of elements. So, like, I played, like, ten hours of Three Houses and I bounced off. And I also think it's, like, a very ugly game. <laughs> Like, I it really, is not the best looking game. I really don't like the 3D art style. I think it looks bad. The textures look horrible. All the characters look muddy. It's just an ugly game, and it's a shame because 
I think the past Fire Emblem games, at least they had great, like, 2D art and everything. Like, great pixel art and great, like, illustrations for characters and everything. But this game just looks ugly all the time. Except for I still like the character designs. Fine. Yeah, the character designs are good. But, like, the game itself just looks ugly. And I think it's just, like, a combination of that and me just not being invested in the school system. I was just like, eh, I don't... I don't want to go find another lost item and think I'm returning it to someone, and it turns out they're they're not the person for some reason, even though it totally fits their character traits. Oh, I gave like, up on that. I was like, you know what? You guys find your own shit. I'm done here. Yeah, like why? Why? Anyway, <laughs> it goes on lost and found. Yeah, that that game. I bounced so hard off it, and I thought I was gonna. I liked it for the first five hours, like quite a bit, and then I just did not <laughs> stick with it. Well, speaking Shout of somebody out. who was a big fan of Three Houses, I really actually didn't think that it was ugly myself. I, I thought it was. It looked certainly better than a lot of Fire Emblem games have in the recent past. I really felt That's the true. upgrade uh, from the 3DS to the Switch. I, th- I thought the artwork in general was a lot better than in Fire Emblem Fates, which hedged way like e- way even further than into the anime uh, the anime than uh, Three Houses did. Like I liked that they that three houses didn't have as many characters. Like, um, oh God, I can't even remember what her name is, but she's mostly dis- defined by how big her boobs are. <laughs> I know oh, who you're talking about. But I don't remember hair. her name. Yeah. yeah, they should put her in Smash. <laughs> <laughs> anime titty woman for Smash. Yeah, I want. Yeah, anime titty woman for Smash. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Well, it should be at the Game Awards tonight. Mark my words. Oh my that's God, gonna, that'd be great. That, it's gonna be Byleth. You know, I bet. She bounces in. Oh, yeah, they'll probably do Byleth. It's going to yeah, be somebody like... boring. Yeah, okay, but Byleth has, like, Byleth has the surname Eisner, which is my maiden name, and I just freaked when I saw that. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> Nobody has the surname Eisner in video games. Nobody, except for this one jerk I found in Inazuma 11. I had so many characters that I ended up liking a lot, uh, starting with Claude, who was a fantastic character. Claude. Uh, actually, I felt like I played it wrong a little bit because I picked the uh, the, the Black Eagle house, which was Edelgard's house, because I had a crush on Edelgard. But no, I, blame you. Uh, I should have picked the Golden Deer house. And I did That's, actually start a new house. game there, but I haven't had a lot of time to go through again. I love how the fans just became so attached to the characters and just ass- started assigning them personalities, like deciding unilaterally that Dimitri was a cop. <laughs> Poor I mean, he kind of looks like one you know he totally like, looks like one he looks so so angry and sad he's like some like 90s geo cities fan page boy <laughs> there's so much to do in this game and i love that all three of the campaigns have a very different character uh to them if you go to the blue lions like it actually gets pretty dark uh golden deer tackles different subject matter uh golden uh the the eagle black eagle one again also very different and maybe not as maybe not as satisfying the, as the other two it's more of a i would almost say like an epilogue uh to playing one of the other two but i don't know like of all of the rpgs that came out this year i think that fire emblem three houses was the one that stuck with me the most and will probably be the one that sticks with me going into the next year i think the only reason i didn't give it a perfect score was that I thought that the second half was a little bit of a letdown because uh, the, the school started to get a little repetitive and yeah. it became more of a grind getting through the levels and everything. And also because I picked the Black Eagle campaign, the second half wasn't nearly as satisfying or like intense emotionally 
as the uh, as the other two campaigns, because uh, Golden Deer and and Blue Lion both. I mean, I, I don't want to spoil anything, yeah, but the game yeah. really does a great job of setting up these relationships so that the stakes are so much higher in the second half. That's exactly it. The stakes do actually feel very high in the second half because these are your classmates, and for like varying reasons, depending on how you're playing they become your, like, you know, your not classmate slash friend anymore. And there was actually a moment, and I, I can't even say what it is because I don't want to spoil anything, but it, it just stabbed me in the heart. It had to do with uh, Dimitri, and, and it was just like, ah, oh, God, this is killing me. It really does a great job of giving you flexibility in how you want to build up your characters and selling the whole classroom setting kind of thing. It does a great job of making you feel attached to your particular house, I think the character recruiting aspects are like completely on point. I think most of the missions are generally very good. I think the soundtrack is awesome. The soundtrack's great. It has some like killer moments in it. Um, my housemate has been playing through Three Houses for like ages and has been doing all of the side content and everything. And he got to one of my absolute favorite moments in the game, uh, which takes place right about the midpoint, shortly before the time split. And I'm like... Ah, oh, man, what a great moment. Ah, oh, this is such a good game. So, I don't know. Like, I loved Three Houses as a longtime Fire Emblem fan. I loved the way that it revitalized the series. It wasn't as shallow as Fire Emblem Awakening. It wasn't as freaking dumb as Fire Emblem Fates. <laughs> <laughs> I had wondered if uh, Intelligent Systems would be able to get the system onto Nintendo Switch. They totally did. They, they, they did, nailed yeah. it. They crushed it. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Um, I really also enjoyed uh, Three Houses. And if nothing else, like, the value you get for that one card is insane. Like, you're, we're not talking about, oh, you have to buy three separate games this time. You get three really huge, meaty campaigns on one card. It, it's insane. It was really good. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't split that up like they did with the last one because... Because, right, they, like, marketed one toward, like, newbies to Fire Emblem. Yeah, it was really confusing. Yeah, it was just, like, weirdly, like, laid out. Whereas this one's just, well, it's not, like, it doesn't seem necessarily dependent on, like, skill level. It's more like, hey, like, what story do you want to follow? Exactly, yeah. What's the thing, themes you want to tackle? So, a game that was a little more love it or hate it, I I felt like Three Houses broadly like had a very high kind of popularity level i I think pokemon sword was much more love it or hate it i know people who really did not enjoy pokemon sword and i know people who are just like completely hooked on pokemon sword i am in the latter camp every time i play pokemon sword i am just enjoying myself so damn much because i love galar i think it's a great region I love the the swooping kind of environmental scenery. I love camping and playing with my Pokemon and tossing the little ball to them. I think that's great. Uh, as a soccer fan, I love that it leans into the sports aspect and has the giant stadiums where you're fighting the the, the gigantic Max Pokemon. Uh, I like the, the wild area, and I think that it's a, a concept that can re- really be built on going forward. I like a lot of the designs. Heck, I even like Hop. <laughs> I like Hop, how? and I encourage, I encourage everyone to read the thing I wrote about the end game and how, basically, what happens to him there. Because, uh, I don't know, I kind of felt he's it kind as of a, a fail brother, isn't he? <laughs> he's he's a fail brother, and I fe- I really feel for him because it's not like I was a fail sister, but you know, I, I know what it's like to grow up in the shadow of siblings, especially a very having... successful, uh, exactly. unbeaten Pokemon champion s- sibling. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my brother's really freaking good at, like, his training. But um, I agree with you. I really enjoyed Sword. Um, I've put far more hours into it than any other Pokemon I've played, even my favorite, which is Sun and Moon. Um, oh, and having the not-random battles? Thank God! Yes. Yeah, that's... Holy crap, like, I can't even believe... I can't even consider going back to a time when we have to deal with random battles anymore. They Just finally no listened. Oh my god. They really did. Um, I and I love it for all the reasons you said, Kat. And also, one thing I have been pointing out on my Twitter account recently is I really, really hope people go back someday and look at this game with unclouded eyes and see how much love actually did go into some of the animations, particularly of the animations of the gym leaders, like when they Dynamax their Pokemon. Like, each gym leader has a certain trait that they put into their their ball toss for lack of a better term and just i i can't drive with the whole oh game freak was lazy this time around because they certainly weren't they oh, no. there is so much work that went into these animations and even though it's not like the most stunning looking game 4k 60 frames per second whatever it is still full personality i i really enjoyed sword and shield uh, the gym battles, I think, are the best and most intense I've had in the series in quite a long time. Because not only is the music really good, I just love the moment. It's like a very Dragon Ball Z moment where they decide to the Dynamax their, their monsters. And mm -hmm. they have the whole flourish where they're, you know, calling back the monster. And then in, they make the Pokeball really big. And then they toss it and the giant monster comes out and the entire ground rumbles and the crowd is going nuts. It's it's a great moment. It really put me in there. Yeah, like, I, I absolutely love the stadium battles. They really, really capture that whole element of the uh, Galar region. And uh, like, like I said, like, the whole flourishes, that's a, that really speaks to a lot of the characters' personalities. People say, oh, the Pokemon, the characters have no personality this time around. It's there. You just got to look for it. Uh <laughs> That's another thing I wrote on the site is about the trading cards and how they reveal the characters' backstories through them. I love the trading cards. They're great. The art on them is great. The stories on them are great. Uh, I like certain little uh, tips that you can't find anywhere else, like the whole thing about like um, Melanie and Gordy being mother and son and how they don't really like each other. I, I like that kind of stuff, that kind of lore that's hidden. Yeah, it's the only reason I haven't finished Pokemon Sword and Shield is that I've been way too hooked on FIFA of late. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same thing. Nah, Not I really. mean, FIFA is like Division 2 or something in that it's just a grind. Uh, mm -hmm. A grind into oblivion, like collecting cards and everything. Pokemon's actually fun. <laughs> but you keep going back to FIFA. I do. I mean, uh, the addiction is strong, Nadia. It's really strong. I understand. I can't get away from it. Uh, Katie, you're yeah, a little more I down understand. on Pokemon, right? Uh, I wouldn't say down necessarily. I just don't feel any passion for it like i i don't know like you I've always bounce on pokemon though yeah like the only pokemon i were really liking is black and white which was a long time ago i mean that's one of the best ones yeah it's one of the better ones yeah. uh and i like ruby obviously but boo what? <laughs> ruby. really wow Jesus. i hate ruby and sapphire so much what? that's katie, why i was laughing so much katie is of the age where like where a lot of people who, i think ruby is my first one yeah a lot there of you people go. played ruby yeah. first that's why freaking blaziken is everywhere <laughs> <laughs> uh but i don't know like it, i think it's fine i don't know like i don't really care about the pokedex stuff i like the new the one thing i do think it does really well is i think the new pokemon are great like all the new yeah, pokemon are. are really awesome 
and they're all really cute and cool and all their evolutions really interesting uh and i think the wild area is like a cool new addition uh but i don't know i've just like never got hooked like i bounced off around that fairy dungeon or not dungeon gym uh like the it's like you're in the woods area with the old lady how can you bounce off of opal what is your problem i don't know (laughs) i love opal i like like opal she is great I, I, like, hit a point where I just stopped. I think I, I got death, or I got really into Death Stranding maybe around what Because I, I got mm. Pokemon when I was on vacation, right? Like, I was in New York. So I played it, a, like, a bunch while it, I was in New York. And then I got home, and then there was Death Stranding waiting for me. And then I just started playing Death Stranding instead. And that that's kind of my how, what happened with me in Pokemon Shield. Uh, because I was playing Shield and not Sword. Unlike everyone else in the world who chose Sword. Uh, but, I don't know. It's just, it didn't click with me uh the like i think it's a good pokemon game like i think it the new stuff like the no random battles is like amazing like it's great they could just run them to a pokemon in the grass and the new pokemon are great but it just like didn't click with me i, I don't really know why because like i think the starters are cute too like i love sobble that's that was my yeah. starter uh Sobble. named him sobby because yeah. i just like sad all the time <laughs> even as and now it's just like a hot like tall frog guy and i'm like all right he's like a salamander (laughs) almost uh but i don't know it's just weird it's a it's a cute game i think the art direction is pretty on point for this one i love the writing in it the writing's like really silly uh like they really go all in on it being in britain or a britain like area and it's hilarious to me because it just sounds so bad oh Uh, my god the accents are hilarious they're they like really write out like there's this one random trainer battle i had where the guy was like what's all this then and it's like oh my god this is you gotta chill out it's hilarious that you guys think that because i've been playing dragon quest for so long which is the most british series in the face of the earth yeah but it's like like fantasy british whereas pokemon is like fake modern british it's like oi Like, you know, you just imagine they're going to, like, start playing I the just talked this fucking chariot. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just, mean. they just, like, slide it in where it doesn't fit, and it's just funny and cute. I don't know. It's like, oh, they're trying. They're doing the best. <laughs> yes. I'm actually surprised that the UK team hasn't been cursing about, because usually they curse about that sort of thing. Uh, I, mean, I know Jake accurate. said that he bounced know. really hot, heavily on Pokemon. Like, it was Who just, he was out on it. Jake. Yeah, I feel like me and Jake kind of had the same, like, it was fine type thing. I don't know. Like, it's cute, but I don't... Like, my Switch is staring at me right now on my desk, but I don't have any desire to pick it up again. I'll just play Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> <laughs> you should pick up your Switch. It's a good system. I mean, yeah. But I haven't touched it in a while since I went to New York last month. So, I think the last really big RPG to come out this year that isn't World of Warcraft Classic, which... Uh, uh, can I just say that World of Warcraft Classics appeal kind of baffles me, but I also have no World of Warcraft nostalgia, so. Same. I, I have no comment on that. I don't frankly. get it. My roommate got really into it. He was so into Classic, it was funny. He also started cooking from a World of Warcraft cooking book. He made bat wings last night. They were really good, actually. Like, so good. Ooh. But, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get why you would want to play a game that's worse than it is now. <laughs> I want to be miserable. Damn. A lot of World of Warcraft fans would claim that it was much better back then. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that is the argument, but I'm like, is it? Was it? 
was it? <laughs> yeah, well, Apparently, sure? like, I thought people would, like, abandon it, but no, people were still playing. No, people were still in- I don't- I actually don't know if my roommate's still into it, but he was for, like, at least a few months, and it was- mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, my old raid group's getting together, and I'm like, this is cute, you know? People are just reuniting over WoW, and I mean, to be frustrated by WoW. WoW's 15 years old. There are people who have basically uh, lived yeah, their yeah, entire yeah. adult life with WoW. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, like, everyone I know. <laughs> Yeah, but it's Sorry. like you go back to the old Leroy Jenkins video, and you see them like <laughs> planning that raid like oh, it's a freaking man. mathematical equation. If that's, if that's the best your video. jam, isn't that great? That's classic. It's oh, a classic video. All right, guys, let's do this. Well, <laughs> the last big RPG I want to touch on is The Outer Worlds, a game that strangely I played for a little while and then just never really became invested in. And mm. I know that there are a lot of people who really, really enjoyed it. And I do think that there's a lot to commend it, for sure. Um, it has a distinct world. Uh, it, it can be clever in its own way. Uh, with the writing and everything, it's certainly evocative of, of classic Fallout, because, I mean, it was written by two of the original major designers of Fallout. Uh, I think that the shooting is a lot better than uh, Fallout. But in some ways, I think The Outer Worlds has received a major boost from Fallout Backlash. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe while The Outer Worlds is certainly a, com- a commendable RPG, I don't really understand the hype that it's been getting. Yeah, I can't comment too much on that because I didn't, I didn't get around to playing Outer Worlds myself. I feel like it's one of those games that people play and they have a really good time with while they're playing it. But then like a month or so later, it like fades fast mm-hmm. from memory like i'm trying to think of like games this year that were like that for me i think telling lies is one of them which is the new sam barlow game like i love that game when i played it but like now that i'm at the end of the year i'm like eh, it probably wasn't that it wasn't that great after all and like i think it's like one of those games where you know you play it you have like a good time like wow that was like a fun ride and then you you know it fades fast from memory and that's fine yeah you know, i know what you there's mean. a lot of games like that yeah, you, you come to the end of the year and you're like, okay, time to put together my list. Oh, yeah, I played that and I really liked it. Should yeah. I include it? Eh. Yeah, exactly. It's it, it strikes me as like one of those type of games. And like it still does have like a passionate fan base for sure because it is. it was also super accessible. It was like on Xbox Game Pass. So you <laughs> could just play it for free. And I think that also helped it a great deal. Because, like, that's why I tried it out and I bounced off after like two hours because I was like, I don't think this is for me. Uh, but... I, yeah, I don't think the humor in that game's good. I think there's so many puns. So many puns. I think the problem that I have with it is that it puts so much emphasis on nonviolent solutions, but it's not extremely clever in the way that it implements it. It's more of just yeah. a basic dice roll. It's like, oh, if you hit high, have the high enough speech stat, you're going to be able to solve most problems. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of boring. I mean, also, like, Mike wrote about this, but, like, I tried it out after I had just come off of finishing Disco Elysium, and that game is so interesting with how it does, how it implements dice rolls uh, and all that. It's, like, such an organic-feeling game. Like, that game, like, you never feel like you're failing anything, even if you technically fail a dice check, or a dice roll, dice check. I think it's called White Checks and Red Checks in Disco. But in, like outer worlds is very binary with the choices you have it's like oh you don't have the stat so you just can't do this sorry like you got to figure out this other way and it's it doesn't feel as like it's moving with you as much which i don't know like that's fine it's definitely like it's that type of rpg i don't think there's a problem with that necessarily but 
I think for me, having come off playing this like super innovative RPG definitely didn't help in me yeah. trying to play that. I was mentioning how Trails of Cold Steel 3, like to me, was kind of the best of the next level down of RPGs. Um, and I think The Outer Worlds is actually in that tier as well. I could see that, you know? It's like, it's, it's good, it's what it's doing, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I think that, I mean, just it had a relatively limited number of resources and like a, a small team like obsidian can't ever bring a huge amount of resources to bear even even after being acquired by microsoft and in, in any case this game was in development before microsoft even did it um they did a fine job it's defiantly old school in the way that it approaches its rpg design like say circa 2007 i i guess that's old school now uh and you know like if <laughs> yes if you are willing to buy what it's selling, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, in fact, it can be very good. And like, I actually rolled my eyes a little bit when people were like taking aim at it, shooting and everything and, or directly comparing it to Fallout 3 or Fallout 4 or Skyrim or whatever. I'm like, well, it's kind of a different animal, honestly. And you shouldn't probably judge it on um, its action elements. But I, I don't know, like based on everything that I kind of played of the Outer Worlds, it was kind of a solid B for me. <laughs> so... Anyway, so, man, I, I didn't expect to be so negative on The Outer Worlds. I, I think it's fine. Yeah, I think you're being realistic about it. It's fine. There you go. Yeah. It, you're not cursing it. Yeah. It, it, it struck me as, like, a fine game, but I, I also don't like Fallout. So, like, that was already a, a bridge for me of, like, I don't think I'm going to like this, but it's on Game Pass, so I might as well try it out. And then after a couple hours, I was like, yeah, I don't like this, so I'm just going to stop playing. <laughs> yep, I was right. Well, you know my me, I love Fallout 4, so take that for what it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we move on to the best RPGs uh, of year 2019, let's do a couple things. First, let's very, very quickly talk about what are underrated RPGs that maybe kind of slip between the cracks, and then... Let's have the listeners share some of their favorites. First, underrated RPGs. Um, well, I am going to throw out uh, SteamWorld Quest, a game that mm. came on a Nintendo Switch earlier this year. Uh, a lot of people kind of went, eh, were kind of lukewarm on it. And in some ways, I feel like there was a misunderstanding of its battle system because people were side-eyeing the, the card-collecting aspect. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think that the card collecting is just superficial. If they hadn't actually included the cards, it could have just been a more traditional menu-based system. It's not like Hearthstone or anything. <laughs> no, it's very, very close to, to Slay the Spire. Yes, Slay the Spire, another like super underrated RPG that... I didn't realize Absolutely. technically went into full release this year, but oh my god, what a great game. Yeah, so yeah, I agree with you on uh, SteamWorld, because I am a huge, huge fan of SteamWorld, the universe in general. I reviewed SteamWorld Quest, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I really liked it. Uh, I would still, if I had to choose between SteamWorld or Slay the Spire, I'd definitely give to Slay the Spire. But um, my main problem, I think, with uh, SteamWorld Quest is that it had where it had the the character designs and monster designs and everything like that. It was great. I mean, uh, Image and Form has incredible character designers and monster designers, but you know, I kind of faced off against the same dragon five times. So I understand it's not exactly a high resource game, but uh, I still do feel it was maybe a little bit underrated, but not like I don't think it should be in the upper pantheon of like great releases this year. Still enjoyed it very much though. I think that. 
uh, if you don't mind me piling on Outer Worlds a little bit more, uh, <laughs> the Outer Worlds is going for a certain degree of whimsy that I find a little bit forced. And yeah. I think that SteamWorld Quest is far more successful in being whimsical. Yes. The SteamWorld games in general are just like, they're so effortlessly whimsical. Just their, the, the robot race they have going on is adorable. I love them so much. And they have, they're so such a well-developed race without you really without it really, like, telling you exactly why, like, speaking to your face. Like, it's just, well, you've played SteamWorld Heist, and that, you know what I mean, Oh, right? my God, like, it's so just, good. One of my favorites. Just how great characters like Piper's are. I'm glad you mentioned Slay the Spire, by the way, because that is actually on my top ten list of the year. And that is uh, actually a much more hardcore kind of card-collecting game and card-building game than SteamWorld mm-hmm. Quest, for sure. But even if you're not really into that, oh, it's such a fascinating game. Like, I love the the drafting style as you're working your way up the tower and when you get like a really good deck going like it becomes so intense because you're like oh man am i actually gonna make it this time and then you fall oh, yeah no God. i i totally agree i'm not big into card games whatsoever but uh i really enjoy slay the spire i'm ter- it's one of those games where i'm terrible at it but i still love it uh, katie do you have an rpg that uh people kind of unjustly overlooked that you want to throw out would judgment count that's kind of sure I mean, we kind of toss Yakuza I mean, in there. Yeah, like it's it's a Yakuza game, uh, but not technically. But yeah, Judgment came out, I think like around E3, so it was like a super bad time for that release. Uh, and I, I really love, like I didn't expect, I think I gave it like a 4 out of 5, and I really liked it when I played it. But I didn't expect it to like stick with me a lot, but it really did mm-hmm. like throughout the year I kept thinking like, yeah, that game has like, it has like a really good story, like a really good mystery at the center of it. The side stories are really good, and it, like, twists the, like, Yakuza formula by making, it's, like, all new characters, like, 100% new characters. Like, you're still dealing with Yakuza at some respect, which is kind of funny. Like, they're still the Toho clan and everything, but it's, like, all new characters. The mystery is, like, really compelling, and, like, since you're a detective, you have all these new mechanics. Like, you have a drone you can fly around. Like, you're doing more detective work. My one, like, thing is I wish... There is more freedom in the solving, like, side mysteries and stuff. It's very scripted and on rails. But other than that, like, it's just, like, a great story. The action's good, like it always is in these newer Yakuza games. And it's just, like, a a good game. I don't know. It's just, like, really fun. Really cool. The... I feel like it does have more of an RPG-like progression system, maybe, than past Yakuza games. Like, they way streamlined it. Where it's, like, you have, like, abilities you can, like boost up and everything you can learn certain moves and it's like they put more into that where before it was like this in yakuza 6 from what i remember it was like this crazy progression system that was like there's so much you can do and it was like a little overwhelming Mm -hmm. but for judgment they realized like you have two fighting styles that's all you need like one's good for groups one's good for one-on-one and you could just like boost them wherever you want and you also can do like you drop more money if you win a fight or whatever and that type of thing and it like, has all the improvements that Yakuza 6 did, which is you can take battles in shops, which is fine, really funny, because you can just throw people into a shop and just <laughs> piss off the shopkeeper. There, and it has, Trying like, to run the, a business here. You know, it's like these really good, uh, I think they're called X-Action moves, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, where if you have a meter built up, you can do like a special move. Uh, and there's one really good one where if you're on this one certain street that I remember, you can do enact this X-Action and basically... 
you grab the guy and then a car pulls up and you shove him in there and he's sitting in between these two super buff like mafia looking guys <laughs> and the guy like drives they drive off and that's like oh you won that battle because you just shoved him into some like car with like yakuza people he's dead now yeah exactly it's like pretty funny it's like uh this private detective maybe shouldn't be doing that but you know what whatever and there's like some great skateboarding scenes in that game that are really funny it's just like it has the humor that yakuza games always do the action and progression is like really satisfying and good and it's just a you know has a great mystery at the center of it and surprisingly like is still like probably one of my like five favorite games of the year all right, and before we move on, Nadia, we haven't really mentioned Final Fantasy fourteen because I'm not much of a Final Fantasy fourteen player. All of those people are like Kieran and Mike and all that, but you've recently got into it. Have you played Shadowbringers? Oh, hell no. <laughs> um, I'm still doing A Realm Reborn. Shadowbringers is like the latest expansion, so I'm quite a ways away. But uh, I, I totally understand why people are really into Final Fantasy fourteen because it is just like... It, it is basically like a love letter to all the Final Fantasy lore you can think of. Like Even the most... like stupid little bits of trivia like i i had a character like who tell me to blame myself or god over something i can't remember what it was but i'm like yeah that's the stuff i drink right up <laughs> so i i totally understand why Shadowbringers is a is getting so many shout outs because the way i understand it it's like a realm reborn which is what i'm on now it doesn't even begin to touch how great the story gets with heaven's word and uh and um the latest one Shadowbringers. so there's yeah, another one I understand. as well yeah, yeah, Stormblood. Yeah, Hiram was talking like, about how he felt like um, Final Fantasy XIV was a great game, even if he didn't like MMOs. Yeah, um, I'm not the biggest MMO person on the universe, but I just really enjoy this game for its story and its characters. Okay, now let's go through what the listeners were saying for their favorite RPGs. Uh, Patrick Kulikowski uh, from Capcom <laughs> is a project manager. Uh, he was like, here's a big old thread about Breath of, the Fi- Breath of Fire 2. But then he goes, more seriously, Dragon Quest XI-S. The gameplay is very old school, but feels fresh, given how everything else out there is trying to be an action RPG these days, and it's just so charming. Feels like a natural evolution of Dragon Quest VIII. Uh, Andrew King, who has uh, contributed to US Gamer, I believe, in the past, Katie? Um, yeah, I think we worked with them a yeah. couple times. Uh, they say, The Outer World, because more than any other game I've played this year, it pushed me to build a character with a unique backstory and personality that went deeper than Paragon Renegade. Anna facilitated the storytelling I was doing for that character every step of the way. Uh, at Poik007, Ring Fit Adventure, which is actually on my top 10 list. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. I love Ring Fit. That's a good shout out. Because it perfectly blends a great RPG with the mechanics and storylines you'd expect with some kick and exercise thrown in to create a unique experience. I'm going to be doing so much Ring Fit during my holiday break. Yeah. That same. I need, I need to, to play get that. back I need to get into it. it. I fell off because of Death Stranding, but now that I'm done with Death Stranding, I'm like... I can get back into Ring Fit, but, oh man, getting back into Ring Fit is going to be You gotta hard. get got to stretch first. Yeah, I got to really stretch. Rowan Kaiser says, easy choice would be three houses, but if we're counting Slay the Spire as 2019, it's almost impossible to deny. Uh, Matt Kim, <laughs> good old Matt Kim. Hey, Matt. Hi. Hey, I'm seeing Matt tomorrow. Shadowbringers, oh, cool. a great story, gorgeous new locale, and has a near-themed raid. That's true. Uh, Residue also agrees, Shadowbringers, it's also my game of the year. The story and some of the reveal bombs that dropped in that expansion were mind-blowing for people who've been with that game for years. The new location and classes are really fun, too. All around amazing. Uh, Doc Burford says, Disco Elysium genuinely moved me with the strength of its writing and emphasis on gameplay without combat, with 
combat that didn't suck. And Sam Desitoff, who I think has also contributed to US Gamer, and we, we got a lot of US Gamer uh, contributors in, in this one, also picked Disco Elysium, saying it's the best writing in games in years. Um, Anthony, and then we had uh, a bunch of uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses stands, such as Anthony Corbett. The characters are all very interesting, and I have a fun pull towards them all. Also, gameplay mechanics are solid. Uh, Raziel, who says, Fire Emblem Three Houses, rarely do I find myself so invested in a world that makes me repeat the game again and again to see everything about it. Brilliant characters and writing, filled with nuance, emotion, and humanity. Few games really reward branching stories as Fire Emblem Three Houses, in my opinion. I also cannot express how much I love Dimitri, who is a cop. Sorry, I'm adding that as a little bit of editorial. <laughs> From his development to his design to Chris Hackney's phenomenal vocal performance. Okay, so thanks to everybody who responded to my impromptu tweet asking what their favorite RPGs of the year were. And now let's pick the best RPG of the year 2019. So uh, without spoiling too much of the uh, game of the year list for US Gamer, I would say that the highest RPG on that list is Disco Elysium, which, I mean... Katie and Mike were the biggest proponents of this game. Both absolutely loved it. Mike reviewed Outer Worlds at the same time, and he was like, damn, I mean, Outer Worlds is fine, but Disco Elysium just blows it out of the water. Oh, right, yeah. And then, of course, I brought Katie on here because she's like, man, this is like the best game of the year by far, game of the year right here. So, Katie, justify it. Why is it the game of the year? I so a few years ago it was like 2017 right when near automata came out I was like a big mm-hmm. supporter a big fan of that game I still am obviously but I feel like what I feel about Disco Elysium is like that times 10 almost because like near automata at on the action level was like a pretty generic RPG but what makes Disco Elysium so great is it's like every aspect of it is kind of perfect like it's just like a perfect game like if anything it just gets a little too cynical sometimes and that's like its biggest fault uh but what makes it really special to me is that it's a very political game you know like we get a lot of developers nowadays that are so against like talking they're like my game's not political and Mm. are very against touching on those issues but this game's like refreshingly political but it's also a refreshingly not western like it's not an american game it's not made by american developers and it feels that way like it feels only like a game you can make if you lived in eastern europe and like went through the soviet union collapsing and everything and like that didn't happen too long ago it's like a lot of people that like the people that made this game like lived through that and like they probably my age yeah exactly and it's just it's a fascinating game from that perspective and i also think the world itself in it like you're, it takes place on this like planet called elysium and basically there's this thing called the pale that separates all the continents like it has this like really fascinating lore and basically the pale is encroaching on everything so like soon there could be human extinction and it's kind of like this but it's like the thing that i love about disco elysium is that is not the focus it's like kind of in the background it's like something people are worried about but these are working class people and they're more concerned about oh like the scabs that are trying to like take the jobs of the union workers uh like if they're like on strike or something and that type Mm -hmm. of thing and there's like a lot more going there's like a lot more like labor bickering and like 
every and what I really think makes the side characters in this game special is there's no like quest givers in this game. There's no person you go to to get a quest from. Like every character feels like they have an arc. You know, they all have like their own backgrounds considering how much you talk to them and you could like piss someone off and never learn about them and it's like <laughs> it feels like very organic and like how you're playing it and i feel like the big if there's like one theme about this game i feel like it's about like understanding people not necessarily forgiving people or like learning that everyone's human but you know like understanding where people are coming from and that's really like where every interaction you're in this game is coming from is like you're learning you could talk to like some racist like lorry driver, but you don't have to like be friends with them. You don't. You can like s- basically spit in his face if you want to. It's like there's like so many layers to every interaction and like learning how these characters also in the world interact with one another, while you are just trying to solve a murder mystery. Which the murder mystery itself is also very interesting. Goes in interesting directions, uh, but like the game itself, like how every choice you're making, like is like interacting with like the thoughts in your head which are also uh, it's hard to explain the system of this game because it's like very complex but basically like every skill you have it, it has its own like internal dialogue in your head so like every choice is like you are going through these passive checks with all these like skills you technically have equipped so basically like if it if your strength skill in a game could talk to you like what would it be saying and that's kind of like what disco elysium does like but with like 12 skills or probably more. I think it's like 24, actually. It's a lot. But it's just like a really fascinating game. And it has like a really like deep like structure in terms of like how it like approaches dice rolls and checks. And it never feels like it's gating you off. Like it feels like the game really just moves with you. And like everyone's playthrough is so different. Like I've talked to so many friends that have played this. And it's like, oh, I just saw this. And I'm like, what the heck? I didn't even see that in my playthrough. But I did do this and I did saw this and talked to this person. And I love that it has this like nature where it's like a good water cooler game where everyone's mm-hmm. kind of like how Breath of the Wild was in a way. Like people happen upon these cool like original moments and Disco Elysium's like really full of that. But to me, it's like very impressive because it's all scripted. Like everything's written and I'm just like, how the heck do they even write this game? It's insane to me. Like, how many pages of dialogue and just lore and backstory and like universe stuff and it's just it's really astounding it's like an astounding game it's incredible yeah it's a really neat trick to take an rpg where you're making a lot of decisions and everything and make it feel organic because Mm -hmm. i've played so many games at this point where you're ostensibly making real choices in the story uh, that I can really feel, I can see the lines. I, I can see the seams, as it were, of the design. Yeah. And be like, oh, I can see the A-B decisions that are happening right here. I can see the wheels turning behind the scenes. And The Outer Worlds is, I mean, not to keep dragging The Outer Worlds, but I keep doing it, I guess, is like a great <laughs> example of that. Which, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I mean, it's a very particular type of design and it's fine. And there are a lot of people who really dig it. And I think it's a competent way to approach rpgs but it seems like disco elysium takes the kernel of what fallout did back in 1997 and really takes it to a new level as it were in terms of what it does with the dialogue and the the conversation choices and how it seamlessly develops your character as the game goes along 
And in that respect, it just sounds like an amazingly cool RPG. Yeah, it's like I have been very annoying to everyone I know that hasn't played it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I will continue to be for probably another year. <laughs> I will <laughs> look forward to it console. coming out on other consoles. Yeah, I think it going I think it coming to consoles will awaken like an even bigger wave of people getting really into this because I think it will translate well to consoles too because unlike a lot of like CRPGs like yeah, you're like clicking around to move but like you're just doing dialogue choices. Like it's really easy to control. There's no like inventory you have to manage aside from like the clothes you're wearing. And yeah, I think it'll work well on console. I think it worked well on Switch. It's like ve- it's has low specs for like PC so just, I don't know, port it to Switch. Someone port it to Switch. Play it. <laughs> All right. That is the best RPG of 2019 as chosen by Axe of the Blood God, Disco Elysium. Do you have any thoughts? What do you think is the best RPG? Do you want to yell at me because I've been dragging the Outer Worlds this entire time? <laughs> Send me an email at cattopaily at usgamer.net or follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at umakatyumecaty. And Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Wow. This is another year of Axe the Blog God. We are wrapping up, I think, year four at this point, I think. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Yep. Damn. It's been a while. Yeah, because I, I think the fifth anniversary is early next year because we started in 2015. Wow. Oh, have to do something special. Yeah, so many great RPGs that we've played over the years. And then, of course, early next January, we're going to be doing the 100 best games of the decade. And I don't think there's any spoilers to know that there are definitely a lot of RPGs on that list as well. So, yeah, very exciting. All right. Now, Katie, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your insight as always. Thanks for having me. I'm glad I can spread the disco love one, one more time. <laughs> the disco gospel. <laughs> And, of course, thanks to my co-host, Nadia. We are going to be back next week for one last episode before the holiday break begins in which we go through the entire year of our of video games in general with the entire U.S. Gamer staff. Everybody's going to get a voice in this one. Then we're going to take a break for a week because uh, we're going to be on vacation. And then we will be back in the new year previewing all of the RPGs of 2020. Oh my god, it's going to be such a big year between Final Fantasy VII Remake, Cyberpunk 2020, or 2078, I think it was. 2077. <laughs> Something like that. Some number. <laughs> Whatever. Some sequence of numbers. <laughs> I'd play Cyberpunk 2020. And then, of course, the next generation of consoles, which will uh, be ushering in a new age of RPGs. In the meantime, thanks for listening. As always, this has been 2019 in RPGs. And for Nadia, Katie, and myself, we'll see you next time. Until then, happy adventuring. <laughs>